0: People all the time ask us, what's the difference between your church and other churches? And I'm not saying this is true only of this church, but I'm saying it's uh, more and more true of our church than ever before. Here is a major difference. We believe the Bible. Now, I know that sounds like, well, you're a church. You should believe the Bible. You're right yeah churches should be believe the Bible, but we really do. I mean, we believe that this has the answers for life, for eternity, uh, it has the answers for little things and, and large things and um, we we love that we love that uh, when I get up here today, or any of our pastors that stand in this pulpit or any of our teachers that stand in a classroom. Uh, that we have truth, that we do have answers, that we do know, not just by our opinion or this is this is what we surmise as a society or as a human, but because we're fallen, we, we cannot get to always the right answer, but this has it. You say, well, no, it's, it's antiquated. You know, a lot of it, it, it's cultural specific. Well, here's what I'm finding. The more and more I study this and as I travel and I, I check on these things, I'm finding to be accurate every time, historically, archaeologically, scientifically. And so I think we, we really miss out when we just say, well, that was for that time or, or this, was, uh, this was written, but it, 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 in the translations or in the, the copying of the copies, we've lost the original meaning. We have many proofs that that is not true. Many proofs that that is not true, uh, that we have accurate transmission of God's words. And it's not just like God's thoughts or God's uh, large ideas. Every word, every word in this is important. And it's, it's uh, it, without understanding every word of this, we won't understand God. But we can. We can know God. We can understand God. I'm not saying that we can understand every last thing. For certainly, we're talking about a God who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, and we are not, and we are fallen. So I, I think one part of eternity that I'm excited about is eternally learning, eternally learning about all the things that God is and God has done and, uh, and to bring him glory for all eternity. So we're going to try to answer some of your Bible questions today. Um, we have done this series typically around Thanksgiving and Christmas, but uh, there's so many questions that I decided to have a another session of this now. But unfortunately, even with today's extra session on answering your Bible questions, I still am not going to be able to answer all of them that were submitted. And so uh, we will have to do this again uh, down probably in the fall. And we'll ask also for more of your Bible questions. I love a church that has questions. I love it because it means that you're studying, you're reading, you're thinking. And I think there is no question that God would say, don't ask that one. Oh, I hope they don't ask that one. No, because he, he has all, he has truth and, and we have answers and, and there's nothing that, that he would be afraid of you asking. So today, the, the first one, it really lines up well with, today's theme, as it is the third Sunday of January, which has been designated as Sanctity of Life Sunday, and that is, what does the Bible, what does God say about abortion? This is obviously a very hot-button topic, Um, but first of all, before I get into Scripture, what does God say about abortion? I wouldn't mind going over just some common-sense things regarding this issue. Okay, these are just common sense things. If you know someone who is secular, they don't believe in God, or they don't trust the Bible, okay, that's fine. Here are a couple just common sense things that we can talk about. In 1973, there was an act passed called the Endangered Species Act, okay? In the Endangered Species Act, it protected three amphibians, 56 birds, seven clams, two crustaceans, 29 fish, 8 mammals, 21 reptiles, 2 snails, and 42 plants. Okay, that's great. It also, though, protects their unborn offspring. Did you know that? The Endangered Species Act protects the unborn offspring of these endangered species. How do we know that? Because a Florida man went and took some turtle eggs. And he was caught and he was arrested. And he said, well, these aren't life yet. They're just eggs. He was convicted and fined. In other words, we recognize a turtle's offspring, unborn offspring as life. But we don't recognize human unborn offspring as life. This is a crazy, crazy topic that I don't understand why more people don't under don't understand this. So let's talk about this a little bit more. Uh, it's it's sad to me. I mean, I'm happy that that Roe versus Wade was overturned. We've had uh, Supreme Court decisions in our history that were for sure bad. The Dred Scott decision that uh, a black person wasn't uh, you know wasn't worthy of a of, of a vote. Uh, you know that's not a real it's property and not person. I mean, we we know that that was right to overturn that. And, and, but, but Roe versus Wade being overturned hasn't really solved much, has it? It might have actually created more problems. And I'm still glad that it was overturned. But this is a, an important issue. Uh, in our society, we believe it's wrong for a pregnant woman to drink and to take drugs. Why? And, and rightly so, because it harms. And it certainly has a high potential of harming that unborn child. But yet, it's okay for that mother to kill her unborn child. Uh, In most states, someone that murders a pregnant woman is guilty of not just one murder, but two. Yet, it's okay for abortion to occur legally in many states. What does the Bible say about this? And that's really what we've got to always get to. But those are just some common sense things that I, I, I think about and I wonder about why why our society is so divided on this issue. And I think we're probably not as divided as it seems. I think most people really are pro-children, pro-babies. I mean, the, the little child that was on the promotional video we showed earlier today, uh, smiling and cooing, uh, drinking milk, uh, that was uh, a child that had been considered for termination. Uh, we, we all, our, our hearts uh, sang for that mother that brought that child into the world. And, and the, the, the bottom line is, are we there for that person? Are we there to help? Are we there to provide when they can't provide? Uh, but the Bible tells us in Exodus that if there is a, a death of a baby in the womb, it's equated to the same penalty as someone that commits murder. So just in the Mosaic law in Exodus 22 or Exodus 21, we find the principle that that would seem that uh, terminating a child in the womb is wrong, that that is actually an eternal soul. And Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. This is the children of Israel after they had been freed from Egypt and God had given the law and they broke the law. As, as it was being given, they broke it. And, and I'm not just saying that the Jews were guilty of breaking the law. All of us are guilty of breaking the law. And then as they're now ready to go finally into the promised land, God says, I have set before you life and death. Okay, These are our, our choices even today. God has set before us two things, life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, God says, what? Choose life. Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Why should we choose life? Because it makes sense. It's right. It's good. If God tells us to choose life, then he is pro life. God is pro-life. And by the way, we're going to see this in some of the other questions that are asked, and I'll be answering today, uh, as God has always taken all of this and weaved it together into a very cohesive sermon that fits together beautifully. Jeremiah, in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, says that uh, about God, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So, So from Scripture, we get more than just clues that what is what is in the womb is a life, is a soul, is a person. That, that God has created a unique person for a unique purpose. An eternal soul is in that womb. In Psalm 139, it says in verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins. This is a, uh, an idea that's it's actually kidneys, but it's the idea of the, the core of the person, the very center of you. Okay? God has possessed, God, it's it's his design, it's his uh, reason that every person is formed. And, and it's formed in the womb. Thou hast covered, that word is the idea of being interwoven. It's also the idea of. Of God being uh, covering and protecting, but it's also the idea of knitting every stitch coming together. And when you start to study the human anatomy, you're actually finding that we are interwoven. And this has happened when in my mother's womb. So I think we can easily from scripture and just from common sense say we ought to be pro life. We ought to um, fight against the, the legality of terminating a life. You say, well, it's the, it's the woman's body. But if it's a woman's body, then why would we be against her drinking? Why would we be, a, be against her taking meth? Why would we be against that? Why wouldn't we say, well, it's her body? Because we don't really believe that, do we? Okay. Now, why do I say that? Because it's, it's not her body, right? This is an innocent life. Okay. So... The Bible says, I will fear thee, I will praise thee. In Psalm 139, 14, I will praise thee. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that amazing? So from scripture, and there are many other places that we could have gone to, um, that we, we certainly know that abortion is not right, it is wrong. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Some of you hearing my voice today probably have had an abortion, and I don't want you to feel terrible about that. I really don't. I want us to commit today to helping people that are facing this choice and, and help them see that it is not the right choice. It will, it will deeply affect the person, the father and the mother, the mother and the father, for a long, long time that have gone through this. But I will tell you this. Jesus covered all sin when he paid for our sins on the cross. And so if you have had faced that, um, if you have received that gift of eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ, you are not under condemnation. I would say you are under the blood of Jesus. And uh, let us use these unfortunate events in our life to inspire us to help people. And many in our church that have had abortions are now the advocates for life and the ones that I can count on to help people in this crisis situation. And so really, that applies to many areas of life, right? When you go through something hard, now you are prepared to help someone else that might be having to go through something like that. To be that counselor, to be that person that advocates for life. So don't feel like we're condemning you. We're not at all. We're, we're, we're hoping that we can prevent any future people having to go through that, but we also wanna provide for folks that have these really hard decisions to make. Another question that was asked, will we be reunited with our spouses and family in heaven if we are believers? This is a really interesting question, isn't it? A very important topic. Um, we had some really hard news that came to us on Friday evening. Uh, we were, My wife and I were heading home from our trip, and we got an email that said we have an urgent Prayer re- request for a man in the church. His name was John Kaiser. John was a delightful man, a man that uh, blessed many people. He was a, a teacher at the Lake Zurich High School. He was the head of the robotics department. He uh, was a, a really interesting guy. We all loved him. He developed a disease where he had to have a lung transplant, and it, and it, and it, went so well about six months ago and he was recovering so well and doing so good and he had to go in for a a normal kind of a common procedure unrelated to his lungs. But after he came out of that was supposed to be a um, outpatient procedure. They noticed his blood pressure was low. They admitted him to the hospital. Everything seemed okay until suddenly he gasped and his heart stopped and he passed away. And we wonder, how could this happen? He survived a lung transplant. He was doing well. He was planning a ski trip with his wonderful family. And uh, we are so saddened. and we're so heartbroken for Michelle and, and the girls. And we just sometimes wonder, how could God allow such a thing? Well, we don't know. And, and I went and visited the family yesterday. And uh, sometimes when you go and make these visits, uh, you think, well, they train you how, what to do, what to say in seminary, or you know, you've you done so many of these, you kind of know what to say. We don't, we don't. You don't always have to know what to say, but by the way. Sometimes you just need to go and be with that person. And uh, we, we told them we love them and we were sorry for what happened and that we were gonna support them as a church, as a community but you're just there. You're there and your heart breaks. So will Michelle be reunited with John? John had accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Michelle has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Will they be reunited? Will, will, they, will, will they know each other in heaven? And I'm just going to tell you this, I don't have real explicit scripture about this, but just common sense again, knowing who God is and what God is, I would have to say, absolutely, we'll know each other, right? We'll know each other in heaven. We'll, we'll have relationship. It'll be different, but better. Now, it's hard for us to imagine that. Let's go over a couple, a couple of scriptures and how I would surmise that we'll be able to know our spouse or family or even other people in heaven. This is a really interesting passage. Look at Matthew 17. This is what we call the transfiguration And Jesus in verse one had taken, um, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the disciples, to a high mountain. So it was just Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And this was up in the Galilee region. And there's several, uh, tall mountains that are kind of by themselves that are candidates for this. And there's one that, that certainly fits the bill perfectly. In verse 2, it says, and was transfigured. In other words, Jesus, when he came, he looked exactly like us. The Bible actually says that he was uh, not comely. He, 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 didn't have, he, he didn't stand out physically. Okay, I, I'm not going to say he was ugly, for certainly that could not be the case. But he, he definitely wouldn't have been someone that you would say, wow, look at that person. Now, we all have this image of Jesus, right? And it's based on some European artist rendering of a, a very pale, uh, long-haired person, um, uh, or the chosen Jesus. You know, we always have these concepts. We don't know. We don't know what he looked like, but certainly he would have just looked normal, like just like us, just normal. He wouldn't have stood out, but he was transfigured. In other words, he took upon himself for a moment in time what he really looks like as God, okay? And it says that his face did shine as the sun. Can you imagine this moment and what that must have been like? And his raiment, white as the light. And then it says, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, who was Elijah with him, talking with him. So we have this incredible image of Jesus transfigured and two others appearing. Now, the disciples wouldn't have known what Moses looked like or Elijah. And we have some concept in our mind of what they would look like. But again, by some artist concept, we, we don't know what they looked like, but they knew Moses and Elijah. Isn't that interesting? So how would they have known that these two figures that were with Jesus at his transfiguration were Moses and Elijah. I don't know. I really don't know, except that somehow that was communicated. And I think in heaven, not only will we know, not only will our loved ones and family and friends that we knew here, they will, they will not only be there because of their trust in Christ, but they will also be knowable. I, I would have to believe this. I even think that we'll know people that we don't know. Wouldn't it be nice if you walked with to some stranger and you had their name, you knew where they lived, you knew a little bit about them? And wouldn't that be nice? How could this be communicated? I don't know. I doubt there's a name on their head or a hello, my name is Moses on their shirt. But there's going to be some way to communicate that. I firmly believe that not, not only will we know our spouse, our, our children that have passed on or whoever, but we'll also have close relations with that person. I can't imagine that we would have close relations here and not have closer relations there. Now, it'll be different. If, if you were married, it won't be a sexual relationship because um, in Matthew 22, <laughs> this is really interesting. This is the last few days of Jesus' life. They were really trying to, to trip up Jesus, both the, there was two main sects within Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were all trying to trip up Jesus with questions. And the Sadducees came, and they were the ones that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't, can you imagine that? They didn't believe in the resurrection, and they came up with this scenario. They said to Jesus, well, uh, let's say that a man dies, and he had a, a wife, But uh, they didn't have children. And if you understand the law of Israel, that the brother, the unmarried brother of the man would then have to take on his, uh, the one that died's wife as wife and then try to have the the child so that the name could live on. And they say, well, then he died and she married the third brother. And he died. and, And this is absurd, right? And they get all the way up to seven. And then she dies. Who is the one that she's married to in heaven? This is their question. This is their trick. Well, I love the way Jesus answered these questions. If you read about the, the one earlier in Matthew 22, it was the one about the coin. And should we give uh, tribute to Caesar or no? Um, you know, that's a no-win situation. Should I, should I uh, give Money to the Romans. Well, the Jews are going to be mad if you say yes, right? Because they didn't like that. But if they, if Jesus had said, no, you don't give money to the Romans, the Romans wouldn't be uh, very happy with him either, right? So Jesus said, look at the coin. Whose image is on the coin? Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Brilliant answer. We couldn't have come up with something like that. Jesus did. Here is his brilliant answer with this trick question. Matthew 22:30, "For in the resurrection," first of all, he says, "You do error," in the verse before this. "In the resurrection, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven." In other words, the, the purpose of marriage is on this earth and in this life. We won't need that, uh, that purpose anymore in heaven." Now it's hard for us to comprehend this, right? It really is Oh. You know, marriage is so wonderful and God created it. It, should, it just should continue on for eternity, but it's not going to. Now, I still think there will be close relations in heaven, but it won't be called marriage and it won't be as we have it today. But Jesus doesn't end there. So we, we do get a little glimpse into, into what it's going to be like in the future. But in verse 31, it's touching the resurrection of the dead Okay, so they're basically trying to say there is no resurrection with this trick question. Jesus said, concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which is spoken unto you by God, saying, and Jesus is quoting scripture, we would call it Old Testament. I would call it the Hebrew scriptures or the Older Testament. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. All three of those, that were mentioned right here are dead, right? So Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead. In other words, if you don't believe in the resurrection, if you think there is no resurrection, then your forefathers are dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God is not the God of the dead, but of the what? Living. Choose life. It all comes back, doesn't it? Choose life. Now, can you imagine in heaven perfect relationship? Even in this life, if you've been married long enough or even a few days, you know that we struggle sometimes, don't we? When you take two imperfect people, one who thinks she is perfect, I'm talking about other marriages, it's hard. It's hard. You should uh, spend two weeks um, in, with uh, in a in a pretty confined uh, place and see and see how you do, and see how you do. Honestly, we, we we struggle with relationships, right? And not not just marriage, but in life. But it's so important, folks, that we look forward to a day when we will have perfect relationships people that you cannot stand, but they're born again, you're going to get along with them. And they're going to get along with you. It'll be a marvelous thing, right? But God is not the God of the dead. There is a resurrection. There is life. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. To really understand that we don't understand a lot about heaven I really think this passage applies. It says in verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly. Now in that time, they didn't have crystal clear glass. They had glass, but it wasn't as our, our glass is today. We've made great advancements and we take that for granted. To, to look through glass then, it was very distorted. So for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Paul tells the Corinthians, now I know in part. So in other words, we just don't, we don't know everything right now. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't fully understand. I think we'll recognize our loved ones. We'll have relationships with them, but it'll be far superior than anything we know now. Don't get all worried about this. Okay, it's going to be amazing. For now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. It'll be very, very wonderful when we finally get to see it clearly in heaven. But now we're looking through a glass. I look forward to seeing those that have died that I know, so many, so many. My, uh, my dad, of course, my grandparents, there was one grandfather of mine that died when I was very little. I only remember him through pictures. Another grandfather died before I was born. I, I look forward to meeting meeting these, these people. Uh, so many of us that have uh, been in this church that have passed away. Another uh, wonderful woman that helped us greatly in our, our uh, buildings, in our church, passed away this week. And I, I long to see all of our friends and all of our our family, and we will know them, and and we will they will know us, and it'll be glorious. So I hope that answers the question. It was kind of the long way around, but it gave us a little bit of insight into heaven. The next question: Who were the people that arose in Matthew twenty-seven? This is a really interesting question. It's a really interesting story. It really perplexes people as they read the resurrection accounts, the death and resurrection accounts of Jesus that in Matthew, and only in Matthew, it tells us that there was this, this uh, interesting resurrection that had happened uh, when Jesus died. The question is, what did they do? How long did they stay? Did they live for a length of time and have to die again? Well, let's read the passage, Matthew twenty seven fifty. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So, this is the very moment Jesus on the cross died, he yielded up the ghost, the spirit. And that's a very mysterious thing that happens, isn't it? It's more than just the heart stopping. It's more than just the brain waves ceasing. Something very mysterious happens that even the best of our doctors and scientists don't understand, but we know something profound has occurred when that person yields up the ghost. And this happened to Jesus and he died, and at that moment, Matthew records eight things that happened. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth did quake. The rocks did rent or tear. The graves were opened. Remember, the graves in Israel are are chiseled right out of the rock. So people are buried right in those uh, rock tombs. Many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into this holy city. Of course, this is Jerusalem, and appeared unto many. Wow, what in the world? What is this? Well, it's recorded in Matthew. I believe it to be 100% accurate and true. We don't read anything else about this, but I do know the Bible says that all people, saved and lost, will experience bodily resurrection, bodily resurrection. Jesus said this in John 5 and verse 24, verily, verily, that means of a truth, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? It's so simple. You hear the gospel, you hear the word, which is salvation is available to every person, not by our works, but by Trusting in the one that did it all for us on the cross. We believe in him, we trust in him, and we are we're saved. We have everlasting life. Okay, that word hath is a really neat old English word, hath. That means you have something right now. It's present possessive. We have it now. And shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Skip down to verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You say, well, that sounds like I have to do good to go to heaven. No. You cannot do good until you're saved. You cannot do good because the Bible says our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags in Isaiah. So to really do good, you have to first have the Spirit of God in you, okay? And those that have the Spirit of God have believed that Jesus is the Christ that died for them on the cross and rose again, and they will resurrect unto life, heaven. And those that have done evil, that's all of us that are unregenerated, uh, will be at the resurrection of the damned. You say, well, why would there be a resurrection of the damned? Why would there be a resurrection for those that are spending eternity separated from God? Well, I, I, I believe that um, the resurrection of our physical body, we are in a, phys- a flawed physical body now. How do I know? Because the older you get, the more pain areas you have, right? It's just, it's weird. It's just, it, it's exponential. It happens. Um, and our body's eventually gonna die unless the Lord returns for the church before that. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And, um, and, and, and that body will decompose and turn into dust. And there will be a day when God will reunite all of those particles that used to be your body and it will rejoin your soul and spirit, either in heaven or hell. You say, well, why would I need a, a, a physical body? Well, because, Heaven is a lot more physical than we think it is. It's not ethereal. It's not floating on a cloud playing a harp. Praise God. Although that might be fun for a few days. Um, it's, it's going to be very real, very tangible. We'll need a physical body for this future. Okay. But so will the person that was separated from God in damnation, what's called the second death. And that will be a body made unique for the conditions that that will will be under. So there will be a resurrection of the physical body for both the damned and the lost. That also echoes Daniel 12. Uh, we won't take the time to read about that, but it's the idea that uh, there's going to be this uh, final resurrection. Now, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the saved is called the first resurrection. The first, and this happens in phases. The first one that arose was Jesus, right? he arose. But it, it sounds like in our text that um, when Jesus died, that's when the people arose. And there was a select people around, I think, in certain proximity to the power of Jesus. It, it almost sounds like they rose again when he died, doesn't it? If you kind of read it and you go through the list. I think the, the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, recorded this not fully literally, literally. okay? In other words, the, uh, when Jesus died, the earth uh, shook, the rocks tore, the graves were opened. Um, and, and, and I think there's a little uh, gap right here. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. How do I know there's a little gap? Because it says, and came out of the graves after his resurrection. I think he just listed them all together since he started to tell the story about the graves opening, and that happened at the death, at the shaking of the ground, many graves opened, Unlocking uh, death. Okay, it's it's a it's it actually happened, but it's also symbolic. Jesus' death breaks the tomb open for us and gives us the opportunity of eternal life. But we don't get that eternal life until we put our trust in Him. Then we resurrect spiritually. Okay, so we're st- the grave's open for everybody, but you're still you're still in it. Okay and came out of the graves after his resurrection. So I think what happened here was the, gra- the ground shook when Jesus died. The temple veil tore. There's no longer a barrier between God and us. We go right to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You go right to God. What a privilege. Okay? Um, and then when Jesus arose, there was another earthquake. And uh, I believe at that moment, the power of the resurrected Savior it, it, it's just like if you have a, uh, you've seen it, like a power surge and like light bulbs that aren't even connected to that are like, you know, it's like, the. I, I'm not saying this is exactly what happened. This is in my mind what happened. The power of his resurrection, uh, people that were in a close proximity to him, the graves were open. They were believers in the coming Messiah, had no choice but to pop up and be alive. Okay. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And, then, and that they went in and they were testimonies to the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Now, the next question actually dovetails into this one nicely. How did Mary Magdalene and the women expect to anoint Jesus' body since the tomb was shut by a very heavy stone? Well, Matthew 28, it tells us that in the end of the Sabbath, so this was the, um, the end of Shabbat. There was a, uh, it's a whole long thing, but there's, uh, there were two... I believe, two Sabbaths, a special Sabbath, Sabbath regarding Passover, then the actual Sabbath on, on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the sepulcher. And the other uh, gospels, in two other gospels, it tells us that they went for a reason, not just to see it, but to uh, come to anoint the body. They weren't necessarily going there thinking that he had risen, although he had told them that he would. They were going there to Re-anoint the body. The three days had passed. I think the guard would probably be disbanded eventually. And how did, how were they expecting to get in with that big stone? Well, have you ever done something that you haven't thought through all the way, especially when you're emotional and, and you know you're just you just kind of acting on impulse? Well, that's human, folks, and and that happens. Not to say it excuses us for not thinking things through and not planning when we don't think things through and plan, when we love the Lord, he meets us there. And he helps us get through those human moments in life. So I think maybe they thought the guard would help them move the stone since the three days had passed. Maybe they thought the men would eventually get up, you know, and get in there and help them. I don't know. But, but I, knew, I do know what happened. Matthew 28, two says, And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. God had it covered, didn't He? So when we don't always have everything planned perfectly, but you love the Lord and you're, you're acting on that, they were acting on their love for Jesus. He had already solved the problem they probably hadn't even thought of yet. Isn't that amazing? Well, Matthew 28:5, and we'll end with this. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not. There's a lot of things to worry about in this world. There's a lot of things to fear in this world. Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is not here, for he is risen. The earth could not contain Jesus, for he rose again. And the angel said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Look at the spot the shroud is deflated, not unwrapped, but deflated. He is gone. He he has arisen. And go quickly. And this is my challenge to you. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. That is our job, to go and tell the world that we have found the Savior is raised from the dead. He's raised. And if he has been raised... I no longer have to fear death. I don't have to fear hell. I don't have to feel eternal separation. I don't have to fear all of the, the things that bring us fear in this life because of the resurrection. I know that my Redeemer lives and I can tell others about that with my life, with my disposition, with my words, with my love. He's alive. Now let's go tell people. We all have a choice. You can choose life or death. You say, who would choose death? Often people choose death not realizing they're choosing death. They choose to reject or not accept Jesus' invitation to come, to drink of the living water, to eat of the bread of life. And you have that option today to choose life, to believe that Jesus died for you, paid for your sins on the cross, that tomb was cracked open. And when you truly accept him, You say, what does that mean? That means you just say, I can't save myself. Right now, I put my trust in Jesus as the son of God who paid for my sins on the cross and rose again. When you believe, when you choose life, you're believing in Jesus, trusting in him and him alone. Not only has your tomb been cracked open by his death, but now you are resurrected because of his resurrection and you now have life. You've chosen life. and I hope that we can share that a message of hope that God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living and choose life. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, let me show you this. Uh, let this hand represent you and me, my left hand, all of us. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one that is righteous. No, not one. The best offer the best uh, that we can do, the best works that we can do for God are nothing but filthy rags. This is my wallet representing sin. We've all sinned. We've all been separated from God, who is perfect and who is holy. My right hand representing Jesus. He knew no sin. Our sin separates us from him. He loves us, but he hates our sin. He came and died for our sin. Isn't that amazing? He died for our sin on the cross. Cracking open that tomb, now you have the opportunity to be raised for life. And when you believe that he died for you and paid for your sins, you trust in him. Not only has the tomb been opened, but now you are risen with him. Isn't that amazing? So now you are in the hand of God. He can never lose you or forsake you. Yeah, we're going to disappoint him. We're going to have times when we're not going to have the faith we should have had or do those things that we should do. But he has us in his eternal hand, his all-powerful hand. And if you will trust in Jesus and him alone, you will be saved, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but forever. And then we get to look forward to some incredible, incredible things. If you've had incredible experiences in this life, you have seen nothing compared to what God has in store.